So welcome to an occasional TopCast. There's been some discussion I have watched in some philosophy communities recently about the interplay between fun and discipline. These terms label ideas that might seem to be in conflict at times. My own personal experience of this is right now. I have a lot of fun making my videos and podcasts, and the more fun I tend to have, the more I tend to speak. So the longer my videos and expositions, some might say rants, go on for. Now, some might like my lengthy commentaries, and that's great. Indeed, one motivation for all of this material, if you go right back to episode one, was, and it remains, for me to clarify in my own mind, to myself, what I really understand these ideas to be. And so these are my interpretations. They're not canon in any way, and these are not necessarily endorsed by those who created these ideas. This is my way of arranging some of these ideas in my own mind, that I thought might be useful to anyone coming to this worldview for the first time. But I emphasize, this is a personal take on these things. Other knowledgeable people, especially more knowledgeable, about any of this might very well distill out some other, more significant takeaways. Which is to say, they might make different choices. But I think what I have chosen here from Popper and Deutsch in these first two episodes do provide something of an introduction to the philosophy, in Popper's case, and the worldview in Deutsch's. In other words, this is for anyone coming new to what might be called critical rationalism, or the Popperian tradition, and then in what I see as David Deutsch's advances in that philosophical lineage. So my fun today is about doing some new podcasts, but the discipline comes in, in meeting some arbitrary criteria to some extent that I'm setting for myself. Namely, that these will be brief, between five and ten minutes, and absolutely no more than that, because if you want an introduction, I guess you want an introduction, not a deep dive. That's what my other extended episodes and podcasts are for. So this should be fun if I remain disciplined about it. I intend this occasional series to be a real distillation as I see it, and again, as I see it, of the ideas of Popper and Deutsch, and perhaps whoever else takes my fancy. Perhaps a Plato primer or a Descartes digest might come up in the next few months. I'm recording this in October 2020, and I'm now about to head into the recording of chapter 15 of The Beginning of Infinity. That's the 15th chapter out of 18, so I'm very much aware that that project is nearing its conclusion. Next will be a similar series on the fabric of reality. Unless, of course, David should publish other works in the interim, which, I imagine, would be one notable event that could change my intended course. For now, published essentially in parallel with this introduction, are my first two introductions. An introduction to Popper, which I'm calling my Popper Primer, and an introduction to Deutsch, which I'm calling my Deutsch Digest. I hasten to add that I am concentrating on the philosophy. Obviously, David Deutsch is a physicist, and there is worthwhile work to do in producing digestible summaries of his discoveries in physics as well. But that is something I might save for another time. Karl Popper wrote, depending upon how you count things, something like 11 substantial books, and this is not to mention his many other works like philosophy articles and separate essays that he also wrote, or is at least credited with, some works being compiled, edited and published after his death. Popper is renowned by many, but not enough, and denounced by some, which are too many, for his clarity of thought and his criticism of many ideologies and other philosophies. 
It is this clear-sighted criticism of various deeply entrenched philosophies in academia that could be one reason why he is not so popular in universities as he should be. Or where he is not ignored completely, his contributions can sometimes be minimised. We could of course spend many hours extolling his philosophies and summarising his ideas. But the task I have set myself here and now is to reveal to you what I think are some central points of his epistemology that inform his broader philosophy. There are four insights I wish to begin with, all related and all of which feed into the work of his intellectual successor, David Deutsch. One, Popper's epistemology concentrates upon making progress and improving the human condition through improving our ideas by revealing what is wrong with existing structures, rather than showing any of them to be right or justified. This is a key insight, and we may quibble over whether others got there first in the ancient Greek tradition or elsewhere, but Karl Popper really did systematise and argue for this negative view in epistemology. In science, he famously observed that should an idea not be testable, then it was not science. This is known as the falsification criterion. He never argued, we must emphasise, that unfalsifiable theories are worthless. Quite the opposite, for his own philosophy was not testable scientifically, but rather that the traditional game of assuming that knowledge was either deduced from axioms already known, or assumed true, or induced by repeated observations in the world, was wrong. Science is distinguished by testability. The capacity for a theory or hypothesis to be falsified, shown wrong, refuted and thus ruled out in favour of some better idea. And this leads to the related idea of 2. We are simply looking for the best idea, the idea that solves our problem. Our project, whether in science or morality or history, is not to find the provably true idea. We are seeking instead, to some extent, the fittest idea for a problem situation at any given time. Popper's great work, Objective Knowledge, is subtitled An Evolutionary Approach, for good reason. Once we find a solution to our problem, we do not assume that the solution will work for all time. Our situation may change, and our ideas will need to adapt. This does resemble something of how biological organisms are fit given a particular environment. But should the environment change, and the organism fail to adapt, to be precise, the genes fail to be replicated, then it will die. And so too with ideas. They are the best we have at the time, not the ultimate truth. We should reject claims to ultimate, final truth, not least because those who do make such claims are often at loggerheads. Which brings me to three. There is always a third way. False dichotomies lurk everywhere, and of course the concept of a false dichotomy, the idea that only this or that is possible, was known even to the ancients. But what Karl Popper did was have a strong theme running deeply through his works that revealed how often we are presented with false dichotomies. And what was needed instead was a third way, a better way. If so-called induction could not produce certain knowledge in science, then how could we be confident of scientific discoveries? Either we have certainty or we lack confidence. Popper rejected this false dichotomy and completely upended the idea that we should seek certainty or justifications for our theories and instead concentrated upon how it is that we make progress instead, by a critical means, by ruling out falsehoods. In democratic systems, given that the majority might form a mob, should we therefore install a kindly philosopher as a tyrant? Who should rule? Majorities or kings? 
Popper rejected that whole false dichotomy. There is a third way. Democracy is about how to remove rulers, not answering who should rule. And so this leads us to four, Popper's anti-authority stance. And although this may be controversial, I admit I am speaking for myself when reading, for example, his own intellectual autobiography, Unended Quest, a deep theme is a rejection of authority on many fronts. The supposed authority of empiricism, namely that nature tells you what is true, that the knowledge is there to be read from the book of reality. This is rejected. The idea that scientists themselves are also authorities in whom we should place our trust, or whose theories we should believe, or that governments are there to act as all-knowing rulers. Now, the proper stance is to be sceptical whenever authority is claimed. The question is, by what mechanism can you know? A scientist should not be believed, but questioned. And when the questions are answered well, then society should act. Not because of any authority of the scientist, but because, objectively, the knowledge they claim solves our problem. And that is an objective matter which makes Popper a realist and a defender of truth. Karl Popper's philosophy stands as an objective, realistic bulwark between two terrible, tyrannical, alternative epistemologies. On the one hand, relativism, the rejection of reality and truth and objectivity, and on the other, dogmatism, the embracing of a revealed truth or a final truth. The third way that Popper marks out for us allows for continual, rapid improvement. But for more on this, we have to go to the next part of this series about David Deutsch's advances on Popper. Firstly, if you have not listened to my Popper Primer, the episode immediately prior to this, you should. It sets the scene as I take some key discoveries of Popper and explain them. Here I want to show how David Deutsch takes some of those ideas even further. Again, I must emphasise that this is not canon, and I would not presume that this is even necessarily endorsed by David Deutsch. Once more, this is merely my interpretation of a particular lineage of this philosophy. And once more, I'll provide four key insights in order to summarise just a part of the work of David Deutsch. One, the search for good explanations. A key insight of Karl Popper was to understand that science could be distinguished from non-science by the criterion of falsifiability. Deutsch showed that this is, more or less, a special case of what he has called the search for good explanations. A good explanation is an explanation that is hard to vary while still doing the job of accounting for what it purports to account for. In science, one way in which a theory is hard to vary is that it is testable. But Deutsch's concept of good explanations traverses all our knowledge, whether it be science or mathematics, history or morality, even art. In a good explanation, each part of the explanation has a function, such that if one attempts to change that part, the entire structure could collapse into nonsense. Electrons cannot be replaced by neutrinos. Stars cannot be replaced by planets. Lions by bacteria, carbon dioxide by neon, Churchill by Genghis Khan, and so on. These parts of theories serve a purpose in the overall explanation and are not arbitrary. But this is not to say that they cannot possibly be improved upon, which leads to two, unbounded progress. 
While Popper understood that we are not seeking provably true ideas, David Deutsch has explained how unless a law of physics stands in our way, nothing can stop us from achieving anything we want to except our lack of knowledge. So we must create knowledge. And some of this knowledge not only solves a local, parochial problem, but some have infinite reach. Some have the capacity to transform not only the situation in which we find ourselves, but will continue to transform situations far from where we began, and indeed will transform physical reality off into the infinite future. Einstein may, among other things, have been seeking a way of correcting predictions about the orbit of Mercury around the Sun, but his theory, the general theory of relativity, was also a jump to universality. It applied everywhere in the universe at all times, just like Newton's did. Some ideas are so deep and profound that they stretch from their discoverer working behind some desk in a small room to the rest of the universe and off into an unbounded future, which leads us to three. Explanations transform the world. Popper knew there should always be a third way sought or that we should reject the false dichotomy in favour of a better way. This feeds into David's placing of human creativity at the centre of problem solving. It's not just the two choices you are presented with. Your task is often to create something new. This is a key feature for many reasons, but not least of which is that our capacity to create explanatory knowledge is the defining characteristic of a person. It is what we do. It is what we expect artificial general intelligence will be able to do and what we would regard intelligent alien life as being capable of doing. David answered the question, what is a person? And thereby connected people to explanatory knowledge that can change the world, literally transform physical reality. This is not a religious notion, but it does give meaning to the existence of humanity in the world. This is a rejection of so much nihilism that infects modern philosophy and other dogmas. And it is a rejection of the supernatural or other appeals to claims of perfect knowledge, which leads us to four. Do not destroy the means of error correction. Popper was right to emphasize that authorities, wherever they make claims in science or politics, can frustrate the problem-solving enterprise. Deutsch took up this theme and ran with it, sharpening it into a moral guide, a guide against which any claim in any domain must be measured. Does this destroy the means of error correction? This deep linking of morality and epistemology might very well collapse all of morality into epistemology. For what is necessary is problem solving, dynamism, not stasis. And so societies that allow for errors to be corrected turn out to be dynamic, while those that frustrate error correction become static. Their progress slows, they can become extinct. And as David Deutsch himself says, We can survive and we can fail to survive, but it depends not on chance, but on whether we create the relevant knowledge in time. Uh, the danger is not at all unprecedented. Species go extinct all the time. Civilizations end. The overwhelming majority of all species and all civilizations that have ever existed are now history. And if we want to be the exception to that, then logically, our only hope is to make use of the one feature that distinguishes our species and our civilization from all the others, namely our special relationship with the laws of physics, our ability to create new explanations, new knowledge, to be a hub of existence. So now you have digested some David Deutsch. 
This may become an occasional series alongside my more undisciplined, much longer podcast on these ideas. Until then, 